The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. guys welcome back to the tragedy of cinema podcast i am your host jimbo and joined again today by the fantabulous kyle kyle <laughs> yeah fantabulous fantabulous um today we're doing a special episode it's episode 109 we are doing the movie the crow which was requested from a listener from new zealand named Shavorn. So, Siobhan, we're going to try to do this movie justice, just like The Crow brings justice in the movie to those who have harmed them. But, Kyle, before we start, i got two questions for you. Two questions for you. Double whammies. This should be golden. Okay. Number one, Kyle, if you were in a movie in a setting just like this, what would your spirit guide animal be? I think my spirit guide would be... Either like a stuffed chicken or a whole turkey. Stuffed, stuffed chicken. Just because, you know, 
I love one of the rubber chickens. It's like, <laughs> yeah, for copy rubber chicken. Yeah, rubber chicken would be my guide. Just, like, I get it now. I need to bring justice to fast food chains. And that'd be my whole spiel. And it's, it's a really bad First parody. there was Popeyes, really then there was KFC. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And now, yeah, okay. Kyle brings on his justice too. Kentucky Fried Chick Justice. Chick-fil-A. Exactly. Yeah, but not on Sundays. <laughs> not on Sundays, yeah. Uh, yeah, mine would probably be a wolf. Um, I think I think that would be pretty cool. You, you know? got like a serious cool animal, I get a wild turkey. Yeah. <laughs> well... The shoe fits, Kyle. <laughs> the shoe fits. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're um, right. But sadly, we most of us know that uh, during the production of this movie, uh, Brandon Lee was fatally shot. Um, we'll get a little bit more into that uh, a little bit later. Um, I even have some cool uh, clips I'm going to put in here uh, later on, and, and I'll let you know when those are coming up. But, yeah. Kyle, my second question for you is, if Brandon Lee would have not died during the filming of this movie. What roles in what movies could you have seen him playing that have been have come out since he died? Oh, since he died? What kind of roles he could have ended up playing? Uh, Is there a movie that would stick out in your mind that you could see him playing the role? You know, like particular movies, not necessarily like like he could have had like a role in the Expendables movies or like I feel like he would have kept going further into like ex- like pushing forward the action movie genre, kind of like Tom Cruise does now. I could see him being like almost like a not not perhaps on his level, but being like almost like between the B and A tier of like you see his name and you know it's going to be a, a cool action movie going forward. Right, like but his you know. makeup was an inspiration for Heath Ledger's Joker. Could he have pulled off? The Joker. Uh, I feel like we've been too. Like I feel like because you get a little kind of vibe in this movie where he's a little crazy, like the Joker at oh, times. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, there is there is some um, uh, madness to this uh, this film specifically. But I, I think this kind of a film is kind of a setup of the idea of, of tropes and Batman stories and comic books in general because this is a comic book it's movie, a graphic novel. Correct. So like he, he totally could have kept doing comic movies going forward. I, I couldn't see him like in an MCU, but like a DC universe kind of role or even like. The new Robert Pattinson Batman, like like he certainly could have had that role. Like going from the crow to the Batman would not have been a stretch, right? You know, in many do, sense. But do you think, as do you think he would have been stereotyped as an action star, or do you think he could have branched out and done more serious roles, um, or even comedy? I think it would be a hard fight for him to get out of action roles if he continued acting and like you know lived on to continue doing movies. Well, I think, I think so too, just because of his family. Yeah, just because of his family heritage. That's always going to be. Like, I think they're always going to want to push him. Like even like the first movies he actually did have was a lot of like uh, you know kung fu or martial art um, movies, and this movie was him breaking out into like another action role, and that was like. Probably as far as Hollywood was ever really going to give him, I think. Like you know, he, like we mainly want you to do martial art movies, but if not that, we really just want to do an action movie. Maybe like you know, like Jason Statham and the Transporter or movies like that. Where it's like he like he can do other stuff, but like he's mostly just going to do action movie roles. Right. And I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, but it is you know unfortunate. You know, maybe if he had another movie where he demonstrated like a clear range of acting that people didn't get a chance to see in like these films specifically, but you know, who knows? It's it's. It's fun to dream, but you know, I think he would have done mostly action films. Right. I mean, I you know. can you imagine him as like a young Indiana Jones? <laughs> you know, I mean, we had uh, uh, Phoenix doing it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, he, he, yeah, I, I could have seen that for sure. I really could have. Uh, I think 
It yeah. belongs in a museum. You know, reading more about him for this podcast and like for this, like like it's clear he took all his roles incredibly seriously <laughs> and went in and went above and beyond to like you know like push whatever he could as far as he could. Like you know, like I've read some other stuff. Like he went to a hospital for like every movie he had to be part of. He had to go to the hospital eventually because like he pushed himself too far physically or mentally and had to, like I need to <laughs> recover. Um, so uh, he, there's nothing I couldn't say he couldn't tackle. I think because mm-hmm. he's clearly got a work ethic like a, no other. So uh, so yeah, I there's nothing he couldn't do necessarily. You know. You couldn't play Medea, maybe. <laughs> really? The Nutty Professor. <laughs> the Medea. Yeah, um, the Nutty Professor. <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead and jump into this, Kyle. All right, yeah, okay, the movie, The Crow. Let's see here. This was released on May 10th in 1994. I was listening to year old. <laughs> I was uh, like a sophomore in high school. Cool, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, directed by Alex Proyas. Um, written by James O'Barr for the original comic book series, David J. Show for the screenplay, and John Skirley also for the screenplay. Uh, composer was Green Revel, and cinematographer was, uh, oh gosh, hopefully I pronounce this, I think it was Darius Walski? Darius Walski? I'm going to say Darius Walski. So Mike Wazowski. Yeah. Mike Wazowski. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't turn in your paper. <laughs> exactly. You didn't turn in your music. No, the cinematographer was yeah. Walski. Uh, quick plot summary of the movie. We have the crow, who uh, is uh, the original character, is Eric Draven, a poetic guitarist who was murdered on Devil's Night as well as his, as his girlfriend. And after one year, a uh, basically a uh, supernatural crow brings him back to life to bring justice to those who um, killed him back then and to avenge his um, wife. Right, and I think yeah. I think part of the the story that we'll have to get into is um, basically the night before Halloween. Yeah, Devil's uh, Night is ha- right for Halloween. Halloween's it's, Eve, right? Um, so uh, this this I guess you would call him a gang. Uh, just basically, they burn the city down every year, and I was like, "Wow, you know." Yeah, I mean? yeah. Oh, there's some like loose plot threads about like like him like rezoning so like that or pushing out port, bringing in new people. Like it, it's some weird criminal conspiracy that doesn't actually matter, right? But who is it? Is it a uh, fun boy and that other guy that's always like burn, burn, burn? <laughs> They're just only giving high fives and yeah. dancing around. The- yeah. Uh, fun fact, actually, that uh, Devil's Night is a real thing, <laughs> um, specifically in Detroit. Uh, like uh, there's a whole thing like like I think it was like from the 30s all the way to like to the 80s like Devil's Night was a thing where like many people were like set fire to random buildings or created like general chaos like that so it's kind of like uh, The Purge yeah kind of like yeah yeah, actually yeah, right. pretty close right. the idea <laughs> of kind of like The Purge and eventually Detroit kind of like made a new holiday called Angel's Night to kind of rectify that and that helped bring it back down as like Angel's Night was about preventing that stuff from happening and they had that for the day before Halloween's Eve um, so that was the whole thing they kind of set up to combat it and it actually worked so good for them because Devil's Night sounds bad <laughs> and it is um so that's a cool fact about uh, devil's night there and uh, interesting history if you ever want to get in that on like wikipedia page sometime but uh not for this podcast let's see here going on we sit here we have some technical details we have 102 minutes for the running time aspect ratio of a 1.85 by one and cameras this was filmed on jdc cameras which i have not heard of until today i might have to do some research on those to find out what made them unique or maybe they're just the cheapest cameras available that day more than likely That's, do you know uh the uh director of this the director of this? they wanted to shoot it in black and white but when he would have his flashbacks they were going to have them in color oh that's I, incredible. I was going to 
that is something that I haven't, you know, mm-hmm. it's incredible. I haven't seen in a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you've seen black and white where maybe there's like a, a, a drop of red or something, you know, like Schindler's List. Schindler's List or like Sin City or something right, like right. that. Yeah. But I think that would have been awesome if they would have tried to do something like that in this. It would have been a bold idea and kind of cool to like experiment with, like even like personal, like just like if I was going to rip the movie and kind of like do my own little edits of it or like. Right. But that's why, there. that's why it's kind of like that. I got that gray overcast of the movie, you know what I mean? Because. Mm-hmm. He he wanted to do it, but the studio's like, nah. So he's like, well, I'll just make it pretty dreary then. You know? Yeah, this movie has a, a weird act like of a, a, a weird duology of being both a kind of a. It feels like an, like an indie art house film in some weird ways, but also is just a full blown action movie in its own way too. And having that fusion is a uh, very unique to this film. Um, that kind of like no other films quite like The Crow, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see here. Moving on, we have uh, the awards. I'm gonna move on there to the awards here. Um, in 1995, for the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, it was nominated for Best Special Effects, Best Costumes, and Best Horror Film. Also, 95 for the BMI Film and TV Awards, it won the um, Film Music Award, we're learning to um, Graham Revel. And then also, 95 for the MTV Movie and TV Awards, it won Best Movie Song for the song Big Empty. And it was also nominated for Best Male Performance, um, reward uh, for uh, to Brandon Lee, uh, posthumously, and also nominated for Best Movie. Then in 1994, in the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, it was it won the Chainsaw Award for Best Wide Release Film. It won a chainsaw. It that would just be amazing. It should just, just send you a chainsaw as a reward. <laughs> just a chainsaw with a little placard. Here's your reward. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, Best Supporting Actress, um, awarded to Rochelle Davis. Best Actor, um, awarded posthumously to Brandon Lee. And Best Soundtrack, won the Graham Revel. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right, but I bet I'm not. <laughs> Let's see here. Um, what are some other facts I usually cover here? Um, we got to move on to the cast of the Crow. We of course have Brandon Lee playing the titular Crow. Also, um, when um, he was before he died, he was Eric. Um, let's see. Brandon Lee also was in such films such as Rapid Fire in 1992, Showdown in Little Tokyo in 1991 with Dolph Lundgren. I think uh, Lundgren. Yeah, I think that's the only other movie I remember uh, that I've seen with Brandon Lee in it. Yeah, I remember. And there was unless also, there was like a uh, was it there like a, a documentary think, type or not? Oh. Uh, but where he kind of played his dad, like. Ah, uh, the Bruce Lee story or something. If I I, I, I could think, be wrong, I think, I think you're right, but I don't remember what that was. I was like, the only one I ever down here was um Laser Mission in 1989 because <laughs> I love the title, just Laser Mission. <laughs> it's where he just runs around playing laser tag. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I, I would watch that movie in a heartbeat. Like a, a really hardcore movie, but it's about laser tag. Sounds amazing. To right. Me. <laughs> um, next up, we have Rochelle Davis playing Sarah. She was in films such as Hell House in 2009, Grotesque in 2016, and most recently, The Revenge of the Devil Bat in 2020. Then we have the legendary Ernie Hudson playing Albrecht, the police officer. Um, Ernie Hudson, of course, best known for playing Winston in the Ghostbusters films, such as Ghostbusters 1 and 2, and the um, was it Ghostbusters Afterlife. The most you recent know, one. When, uh, when he breaks into his apartment in this, mm-hmm. you know, if he would have just... Busting time. <laughs> Calling Ghostbusters. Can you write, what would happen if Ghostbusters met the crow? Would they be able to get him? But he's not really a ghost, so I don't think that would happen. Still gets in the ecto trap. Yeah, okay, be good. Yeah, just... <laughs> that's the, the movie was made today. That's the post credit. It's just the ecto one pulling in. <laughs> he got a crow problem. <laughs> it's so dumb. Okay. Uh, or, it's, or Arnold shows up and goes, I heard you have. Uh, 
exterminator problem. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. I just <laughs> the dumbest version of this movie is also the movie I want to see. <laughs> Um, Ernie Hudson also um, leading the show The Family Business from 2018 to 2022 so I believe it's still ongoing so maybe go on a few more years you check that out because that sounds really cool Um, (laughs) then we have Michael Wincott playing um, playing the character Top Dollar Um, uh, Michael Wincott just appeared in the movie um, Nope which I just saw last week and it was very very good so uh, very interesting to see Michael Wincott very recently in in the last movie in, in Nope and in this movie so that was a Fun little surprise. He was also in the film What Just Happened in 2008 and the film Dead Man in 1995. Next up, we have Bay Ling playing Micah, who is a uh, top dollar's both half sister and lover, which is an interesting fact. Yeah, film. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> That's a weird thing. It just You just put that in there, did you? And uh, like comic books are weird. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. probably where it came from. Um, anyway, she was in such films such as Red Corner in 1997. Crank High Voltage in 2009 uh, and Lockdown in 2022, just this year. Next up, we have Sophia Shrines. Um, oh, uh, yeah, so I'm going to say Sophia Shrines. I believe I typed that in right. I got the cast over here if I need to. And uh, playing Shelly. She was in such films such as Planet of the Pits in 2004, Terminal Velocity in 1994, and The Hunger in 1998. Then we have Anna Thompson playing Darla. She was in such films such as True Romance in 1993 and Unforgiven in 1992. Then we have David Patrick Kelly playing T-Bird. Um, David was also in such films such as Flags of Our Fathers in 2006 and Last Man Standing in 1996. Then we have Angel David playing Skank. I love character <laughs> names in this movie. Um, if Kyle was playing, he'd be Skunk. Skank was in G.I. Jane in 1997. I'm going to let that one pass. <laughs> in G.I. Jane, 1997. And also in Baby Boom in 1987. <laughs> Next up, we have Lawrence Mason playing Tintin. Like I said, the character's in the movie. I know. Like, some just, of the names of this are awesome. What's his name? Tintin. Yeah. <laughs> the Knife Man. The Knife Man, Tintin. Uh, Tintin, also in the movie City of Lies in 2018. The Lincoln Lawyer in 2011. A really underrated film, by the way. And Hackers in 1995. A really overrated film, by the way. <laughs> 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 then we have Michael Massey playing Fun Boy. That's <laughs> just... It's just like a, every good gamer tag, just fun boy. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, fun boy was in the films The Amazing Spider-Man one and two um, back in 2011 and 2014, Lost Highway in 1997, and The Last Man Club in 2016. Next up, we have Tony Todd playing Grange. Tony Todd is the titular Candyman in the Candyman series of movies. So big actor right there. He was also in the film The Man from Earth in 2007. And the legendary The Rock in 1996, starring Nicolas Cage. That's a good movie. Yeah, great movie. And then we have John Politi playing Gideon. He was the uh, the uh, the uh, the pawn store guy. And I've seen him in something else, but I can't remember which movie it was. But uh, he was in films such as uh, Miller's Crossing in 1990, Big Nothing in 2006, and Highlander in 1986. Then we have Bill Raymond playing Mickey. Mickey was in films Lincoln in 2012, Michael Clayton in 2007. And Golden Years in 1991. Then finally we have Marco Rodriguez playing Torres. Torres was in the films Cobra in 1986, The Rookie in 1990, and A Man Apart in 2003. And that is the cast of The Crow. Jimbo, take it from me. Well, Kyle, did you have the filming locations? 
filming locations. I believe it was filmed mostly in North Carolina, if I have it on the top of my head right here. Um, we have oh, the, the top of your head right here on these notes. The top of the head right here. On this. I remembered that I looked at the notes to confirm. That's what I did. That's what I did. I, I, I have everything here, but also in everything in my head. Um, it was in the Roanoke Cement Factory in uh, Castlehane, North Carolina. And uh, let's see here, multiple North Carolina filmings. Um, it was stage four of the EUE Screen Gym Studios, where unfortunately um, Brandon Lee was fatally shot on stage. Um, yep, so yep, stage four and the UA4 Screen Gym Studios and Wellington, North Carolina, were where the majority of the filming was taking place. I wonder um, if they offer tours to that, and if they do, is there uh, like a memorial or something there where that happened, or is it just something that you just brush aside and then we're not going to mention this? You know what I'm saying? I would think that'd be something you kind of like brush aside and not even mention this because it's not like a favorable history, nor is it like a. It's not like a like a major tragedy where like a lot of people died in an accidental thing. It was like one person died here by accident. I wouldn't like try and like. Like, you know, there is a, you know, there's a gravestone. I'm sure you can go visit and, like, pay respects. But, like, going to where he died seems morbid and kind of messed up to me in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, but a lot of people do that. You know, John Lennon. Like, yeah, yeah. Shot, it, you know, like, just. Yeah, yeah. Well, same time, like, making the place where he died, making it a tourist attraction would seem weird. And then you have to, like, you have to keep that set up or something like that. But I'm or, saying like, it's not a tourist attraction if it's still being used today for other still movie being, sets. Yeah, you know um, what I mean? I didn't know if there was a plaque or something, you know, this yeah, is dedicated yeah, yeah. to. Brandon Lee, yeah, yeah, tragically lost his life there due could to be a, something, but I don't know. I, I have not. I did not see anything in my research about that. It's very possible, though. But I, if our, if it were me, time dealing with situation, I'd be like, eh, it's just a studio. We're going to close down for a month, make sure everything's clean and spackled, and we get rid of all the set dressing. And then we just reopen this building and use it as its intended purpose. Right yeah. now, you know his death. Um, it, it's 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 pretty crazy because. Pretty much most of the film was shot already. Yeah. Um, he only had I, like three days of shooting left to go. Right. I've got in here the scenes that were replaced. Um, but there was outcry or they weren't even going to finish the finish it. You know what I mean? Which we saw recently with Rust with um, Alec Baldwin when he fatally shot the director. Yeah. Uh, well, that's all, neither here or there. It's but still, I'm, but I'm, I'm going just, to right, agree right. as well. But, um, yeah. Uh, so... It's 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 amazing that this film even uh, completed uh, due mm-hmm. to the circumstances. But I've got something in my notes about that. So, um, but man, what a great movie! Here we go. You ready? Yes. So Cameron Diaz was offered the role of Shelley, but she turned it down because she didn't like the script. <laughs> Mistakes were made. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I can imagine her in the role. I think she'd do a fine job. And no, because she could come running out with samurai swords like Kill Bill <laughs> to be the action star, probably. <laughs> um, at around twenty six minutes, the poem that Eric Draven misquotes uh, when he breaks into Gideon's shop is "The Raven" by Edgar Allan Poe. Draven says, "Suddenly, I heard a tapping." While Poe's poem actually reads. Suddenly, there came a tapping. There came a tapping. I think he's into putting. He's put, yeah, the character himself is a is a poet and musician, so perhaps he's using his own artistic flair to change it up. Right. You know, I'm uh, as good as that ground poe. I can do this. <laughs> there's a cameo by James O'Barr at around 32 minutes, where he's stealing a TV set after the getting shops blown up. You know, you see that they blow up and. We think there would be a TV worth taking. You know what I mean? It's probably all melted. Oh, those tube TVs, man. They go with anything. They're fine. Yeah. Uh, now, this should have been a warning sign because they, they say this set was 
pretty much doomed since the beginning because during the first day of shooting in Wilmington, North Carolina, a carpenter suffered severe burns after his crane hit live power lines. On subsequent subsequent days, a grip truck caught fire, a disgruntled sculptor crashed his car through the studio's plaster shop, and a crew member accidentally drove a screwdriver through his hand. So how do you accidentally have a screwdriver through your hand? Drive unless he's doing you know where you spread your hand out, your fingers, and you do the with oh, the yeah, knife, usually like yeah, the yeah, alien yeah. or the five finger play thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't remember the name of. Freddy I wonder. Audio I wonder if he was pretty calm about it, or if it was he you know like in Young Frankenstein when he stabs his his, his leg with the scalpel. He's like. Class dismissed. He's going to do a supervisor and he just waves with the um, yeah, with hand the like, hey, I got a problem here. Just, <laughs> or he sticks a note on it and says, I got to go. I got to go. Oh, man. <laughs> what happened? I put a screwdriver in my hand. It was an accident. No. <laughs> uh, James O'Barr modeled the comic book uh, Eric's Face on an amogram of uh, Ian Curtis and Daniel Ash. Iggy Pop served as the model for comic Eric Torso's and, more importantly, the comic Fun Boy's overall look and attitude. Iggy was slated to star as Fun Boy in the film. However, he was forced to decline the role due to touring and recording conflicts. To make up for his cancellation, he agreed to be in the Crow City of Angels. Kyle, have you seen Crow City of Angels? Yes, I have. Once. It's not very good. <laughs> no. Do you, do, you think, um, do you think there would have been sequels with Brandon Lee? Sooner yes. before oh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he had lived, yeah, the movie was so a big too. success. I think the movie would have been an even bigger success if he hadn't have died, actually. Or did it um, become a bigger success because he died? No, I think it would have been a bigger success if he didn't die. I think I think it would have kept on going because there would have been there would have been sequel buzz immediately. The press would have like tried to like move around it and actually kind of like make this kind of like a marching thing where like it continued to hit the new cycles. People like came back week to week. I think it would have had like a long tail to it. That's why I think would have happened. Um, I think they would have just kind of like carried it forward. Like, hey, let's just keep talking about this movie until we get that sequel made. It would have been good, um, but it didn't happen. Unfortunately, you know. Uh, top Dollar, Micah, and Grange are never referred to by name in the movie. Oh boy, I skipped one of my favorite parts. I always do. Ah, oh, gosh, I gotta get back to it right now. I never talked about the budget of that's the film. what I was. I was Hi. gonna ask you that, You're, and I was like, I see you go over, glance over your notes, and I was like. Kyle, um, I skipped it. I do inflation calculations every week, and I should have known. Yeah, the budget of the film was $23 million. It always astounds me how much movies like made like 20 or 30 years ago. It's like, oh, yeah, we made it for like a, like a tenth of the price you make Marvel, 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 Marvel movies now. But we got some incredible aesthetics out of it. But like just $23 million, which would be the equivalent of about $46 million today. Opening weekend, it made $11.7 million, which would be the equivalent of about $22 million today. And then gross worldwide, it made $50.6 million. So uh, more than worthy success there. Yeah, but it kind of had a weak opening weekend. A little bit of a weak opening weekend, but have a good long tail to it. Like I said, and I right. think like if the like if he hadn't died and they still could like interview him afterwards, they probably would have like a whole press tour or like press thing to kind of bring this movie up. And like that way this movie could have like been out for like three months and made like $100 million or so like $50 million or something close to it maybe. <laughs> um, and that would be equivalent of about $101.4 million today in uh, today's profit. So like. It wasn't like, you know, wasn't a huge success, but I think successful enough to like warrant at least one sequel. Maybe like the John Wick movies, where like you could have like a lower budget sequel going forward until they could make like right. John Wick twenty seven or how many of the movies they're making now. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting there. But that was the budget of the Crow. Oh, did you forget anything else today? I probably have. I mean, I, I have long weeks now, so. <laughs> So one of the villains in this movie is named Skank. Uh, the Wraith, which was another movie about an Avenger who's back from the dead, also has a villain named Skank. 
and another one named Skunk, starring Kyle. Skank is a good movie. It's a good you know, movie villain name. I mean, they should bring back for more characters. I can't wait for like the next Shang Chi movie. Like my greatest enemy, Skank. <laughs> At around six minutes into the movie, when T Bird and Fun Boy and Tintin and Skank destroy the arcade, why would you destroy the arcade? That hurt, my, that hurt me. Uh, uh, T Bird says, "You know, Lake Erie actually caught on fire once from all the crap floating around in it. I wish I could have seen that." Something like that actually did happen, but it wasn't Lake Erie. It was the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland, Ohio, which feeds into Lake Erie. Jeez, that's so sad. Uh, At around 47 minutes, uh, the later part of the scene in Albrecht's apartment was ad-libbed by Brandon Lee and Ernie Hudson. The line about Shelley, believe me, nothing is trivial, uh, was not in the script. Uh, Eric Mabius, who played the lead uh, for the Crow Salvation, auditioned for the role of Fun Boy for this movie. Uh, one of the ravens used in this film was named Magic, and he was uh, used in all of the following movies. Oh, wow. That's funny because there's not really a crow in this movie or in the movies. It's They're all ravens. Yeah, so, they're all ravens. And there's a difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linda Lee Caldwell, the widow of Bruce Lee and mother of Brandon Lee, filed a negligence case against producer Edward R. Pressman, actor Michael Massey, and 12 other defendants over the death of her son on set. She settled out of court to the tune of $3 million. $3 million. Jeez, <sighs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, like, it is such an understandable accident to make, but also it was an accident, and, like, it is a negligence that's responsible for the company to pay out forward. So, like, you know, like, if, if this were a wrongful death suit in, like, any other company, I'd be on the, um, the defendant side. So, I, I, I think I agree with the mother on this one, too, like, suing the company and getting $3 million out of it, you know. Uh, yeah, but... I guess it would depend on when the actor signed a contract to, you know what I mean? Is there anything in there that says, hey, you know, this could be problematic, you know? Um, you know how you, you yeah, we are not yeah, responsible yeah. for... Well, but the legalities of it always go one way or the other that, you know, like you, like you don't know beforehand, really, like unless you're a very good, you know, unless you're a lawyer yourself. Um, so like I, I'm, I'm talking about more of the morality of it all around. I, right. I, I, I am with the mother's side on this, that she reserves restitution from the company after um, he died on set. I think that's what morally is the correct option. Um, legally though, like, yeah, it's all about like what contract they signed beforehand, what he ever agreed to, what kind of insurance coverage they have, all those things. And that's just a mess of bureaucracy I'm not interested in. Right. Um, according to James O'Barr, he didn't like casting Brandon Lee as the main lead for his comic book adaptation. At to- at that time, he had only seen him in Showdown in Little Tokyo and feared it would end up like a kung fu movie and go straight to video. But he was thrilled when he first met Brandon on the set with the makeup and the crow outfit. He was amazed by Brandon's take on the character when he spoke the exact lines from the comic. That's fantastic. <laughs> right. Uh, James O'Barr stated on the Crow DVD that when he met the movie's executives, they originally wanted to make this a musical starring Michael Jackson. (laughs) Of course they did. Now, now, um, I don't think I would have been a fan. 
but I'm kind of intrigued. I'd kind of like to see it. I'm intrigued too, and and I feel like this isn't the first time we've brought up Michael Jackson right. in our notes a few times about him wanting to be musical. There was just that period, and like there he had was been, like, he was the big thing. Uh, he was the big thing, but there had been like a couple of producers in Hollywood that were just like leading that crusade of like, no, we need a Michael Jackson well, musical. It, it so probably would have made a lot of money. Oh yeah, Worldwide, I'm sure it would. It would have sure. probably well, just I, but, like, if it ever really happened, it would have made a lot of money. I'm sure, but I feel like. <laughs> Yeah, he's, it he's, had to be some he's stubborn he's producers he's in Hollywood. Just like, and he's like, just beat it. Just beat it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he immediately laughed uncontrollably, thinking it was a joke, only to find out that they were actually quite serious. <laughs> it was only until Brandon Lee and Alex Proyas came on board that the movie took a more serious role. So yeah. I guess it would have been it yeah. would have been comical. Yeah, but that, that's what I mean. I feel like you could pitch any movie to those producers, and they would think like. What's a way I can make this a Michael Jackson musical? <laughs> and that was the only filter they had for like five years. <laughs> Although he was not at fault for the death of Brandon Lee, Michael Massey uh, stopped acting for a year and, uh, because he was so traumatized by the incident. His next film was a small role in Seven. Up until then, his death in 2016, he had never watched this film. I mean, not, yeah, you know. I'm sure he feels terrible. Then getting a lawsuit on top of it where he's one of the defendants. You know what I mean? Um, but as um, I think I'll put it in here, um, there is, um, we were doing a little bit of research and I found this video um, where it talks about how, uh, how the accident happened. Um, it goes, it goes into detail about how um, the dummy uh, round fired but the end of it, the cap or whatever, was still yeah. in the barrel. And then when you put a another dummy round behind it and you fire it, it makes a lethal projection. I think they said, what, two... 3,000 PSI, basically like Three that. to 5,000 PSI. And I think it was a two-centimeter... Uh, oh, From yeah. like 40 yards away through wood. Um, I'll put it in right here so everybody can listen to that. Michael Massey was... I mean, to put it mildly beside himself, he was broken by the experience of um, having pulled the trigger. Uh, I don't think he could have taken on any greater responsibility on his own shoulders, although it was not by any means his fault. Plain and simple, and it wasn't his job to be responsible for that particular weapon. Chinese mafia executed Bruce Lee and then his son. I mean, that's where things were going, you know, with the tabloids. Uh, blood on the set. Um, what really happened? How could a bullet end up in a gun? That, well, it wasn't a bullet. It was a, a dummy's head. The dummy head was, was still in the chamber. And it blew it out. What occurred was that there was a dummy bullet loaded two weeks before that had lodged a real bullet in the barrel of the gun. These are different caliber dummy rounds that we have, and the whole goal to making dummy rounds is to make an imitation round that would lead the viewer to believe that it is a live round. So this is the dummy round, and this is the live round. Even though this is a dummy round and it's had the gunpowder removed, 
the primer hasn't been removed or struck. When we do a dummy round, it's always important to remove the primer cap from the center. What happened on the crawl was when they put the dummy round in, they forgot to remove the primer. And what happens is, again, that primer has enough force to dislodge the lead round and actually push it into the barrel. We're actually going to pull the trigger and it'll have just enough force to lodge the, the round in there. So you can see in there our dummy round. We'll index it. Three, two, one. So just with that simple action, that little snap, the, the cap's gone off, no gunpowder, but what we'll be able to prove is the hung round inside the barrel. Inside that barrel, we have the obstruction. But if you look down the barrel, you'll notice that there's no light coming through. So that would tell me that there's an obstruction. In this case, a lead round, a hollow point. That's the one thing they didn't do. They didn't check the barrel for an obstruction. The problem with that is when you put a blank in there, then after whatever's in there, be it rock, dirt, or a hung round, that round comes out flying at three to 5,000 PSI. So when we're ready, I'll put a round in here. It's gonna be a, uh, a blank, a half load blank. This is it, there's no lead projectile. It's just crimped at the end, but it's got powder. The crimp's hot, but this produces enough powder to push this lead round into that board through two inches of plywood. So when we're ready, three, two, one. The round's gone off. I can go check down range. We can actually see the round that punctured through it. Right here. That's your round. That was the hung round that got pushed into the barrel with uh, with just the primer cap. And what you can see is, I don't know if you can see the striations, but it actually fired the round. So this would definitely be a lethal round. This would be something you don't get up from. So there you have it. You can see where um, it was just a tragic accident, but when you're dealing with something like that, there should be checks and balances to make sure nothing in the barrel like that is. And there usually are. Like this right. is like one of the things, like, like once again, like, you know, Mistakes happen all the time. That's why you need like you know redundant checks and balances to make sure those kind of things happen as well. You right. Know? But uh, yeah, it's just a you know tragic event like that. Like yes, you say like yes, it could have and should have been avoided, but also like of course it happens because eventually it always has happened to someone, and this is this is the story now. Right. And it hadn't happened before for a very long time until we got to the movie Rust, which had its own set of you know um, of uh, nickel gens going on. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, prior to filming, Brandon Lee had somewhat of a morbid fascination with death. He would often drive around in a hearse he owned, visit famous graves, and would listen to the doors. That's so cool. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, it's probably, it sounds like you may have been depressed or something like that going along. But driving a horse around, driving a hearse a around, horse around? <laughs> or driving a hearse around, listening to the doors all day, man, that sounds cool. Brandon uh, Lee was all right. <laughs> at around 26 minute mark, according to John Polito, Brandon Lee cut himself when he broke the glass in Gideon's shop. The glass was breakaway glass, and it's very rare for anyone to get cut by it. Polito said that he told Lee that he feared Lee would die in an onset accident like Vic Morrow did during filming of The Twilight Zone, the movie. Unfortunately, oh Polito's prediction turned out to be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, you started reading about stuff about this movie, and it's just like it was, it was 
It was going to happen. It's doomed. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, James Abara actually wanted Johnny Depp to star as Eric Draven, which, of course, we probably could have seen Johnny Depp. Uh, yeah, he would have been fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of like, I feel like I've always been tired of Johnny Depp as an actor, but sure. Right, but this, this is be, but this would be oh. before oh, the yeah. Pirates of the Caribbeans and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, Rise of the Caribbeans before like became like a superstar. It's like, probably like right after Edward know. Scissorhands. Yeah, right, yeah, right around that same time. We're like, yeah, doing the gothic kind of like Tim Burton work anyway. So like, he would have been a perfectly fine fit for this role. And uh, yeah, so I could, I could have seen him do it. Yeah, for sure. um, in the Blu-ray commentary, Alex Proyas said that Brandon Lee was unhappy with the way his face paint looked when the makeup department applied it to him before shooting lee and proyas then agreed that it would look best if lee applied his own makeup every night before going to bed so that when he woke up his face paint would look naturally and be a little worn out kind of kind of set yeah kind of give more of a sickly look than an actual like a uh, makeup look that's crazy yeah i like it because we just had that like almost like that kiss or um who was the um who's the um Oh, not the WCW. Yeah, I was going to... The Sting. Sting, yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, Eric Draven, this this movie was the inspiration for his makeup. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, in the future knows later. But if it just looked like that pure white and black, it right. would have looked too, like, fake and phony. Um, right. Versus this film where, like, it does look like a like a undead corpse walking around killing right. people. I, um, I kind of got the... Uh, what is it? Um, is it the Day of the Dead uh, in Mexico? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um Help me out. You know where they dress up. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. it Cinco de Mayo? Is it Cinco de Mayo? No, that's, no it's not. <laughs> that's no, like, it's not. The Day of the Dead, but you're right. I, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember the exact name. Oh, man, I should have wrote it down. Yeah, but that's what it reminded me of. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. The, the skeleton makeup and all that kind of right. stuff, too. Yeah. Um, in 2005, 12 years after the accidental shooting of Brandon Lee and Massey, uh, who actually fired the gun, claimed to still have nightmares of the incident. Originally, Fun Boy uh, was not supposed to fire a gun at Brandon Lee's character, which ultimately we know led to his death. It was changed at the last minute by director Alex Proyas. Mm. Sad. Some believe that because of the tragic death of Brandon Lee, this movie is responsible for changing gun safety standards in film. For action scenes, the gun is held off to the side and tricky camera angles are used when the weapon is aimed at a character to avoid misfiring or other horrific accidents. Uh, River Phoenix and Christian Slater both turned down the role of Eric Draven. River Phoenix would have been an interesting one. Christian Slater. I think Christian Slater could have been a slam dunk, honestly. I, I like Christian Slater, but I don't know if it... I just don't know if he has a look for this, though. <laughs> I think he's too short. I, <laughs> I don't know how tall he is, but I think he's too short. Oh, no, just put him on a soapbox and the Tom Cruise <laughs> stuff again. Just do yeah, Christian Slater. It would have worked fine. According to Empire Magazine, cocaine abuse was rampant on set with cameramen shooting uh, <laughs> while high. Crews going into the toilets to snort between shots and people cutting around. One crew member recalls hearing the sound of a sneeze on the set one day and annoyed Brandon Lee said, someone just lost $50. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. But I mean, if, if the gangs are getting into character, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, can you see him just get annoyed? Oh, well, there goes with the $50. <laughs> uh, the set and outside building shots used during the apartment scenes, especially the iconic window, were reused for the kidnapper's hideout in Baby's Day Out. Have you seen that movie? No, I've not. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Okay, I'll, take, I'll, I'll, I'll add that on the list. Um, there were... Uh, in the, when VHSs were really popular, there used to be sometimes uh, when you would, you know, before the feature presentation or usually when it popped up on the screen, feature presentation or even before or after that, it would say, hey, stay tuned for after this movie for a special sneak peek or and interview movie, or whatever. Yeah, right. So thing. 
there's a, one of those special flashbang uh, bumpers shown to the home viewers for this film. Um, in this case, it was the logo of the crow's face on, on screen uh, saying, after the feature, last camera interview with Brandon Lee. The announcer is heard saying, stay tuned after the feature for the last camera, uh, on-camera interview with Brandon Lee, which includes never-before-seen footage, uh, which was, this says it was before the feature presentation was on the screen, which is normal. Um, but this is this variant is a very rare version of the flashbang bumpers um, to be used uh, even, you know, for that day. So, um, usually, you know, Disney or Miramax or Hollywood or Touchstone would do some of those. So I have actually found that interview, um, and Kyle and I just sat here and watched it, but I think it's very eye-opening to hear it from Brandon Lee, and there's a point in here where he starts talking about, you never know like how many more uh, moon times you will get to see the moon, 20 maybe, or when you will have that last memory of a childhood memory, uh, he's like maybe five, he's like, then you, or maybe you never get to again. It was very eerie listening to it. Oh, uh, so I am going to put that in here um, because I think it's only right to honor um, Brandon Lee. And I want you to hear his voice and the way he approached this role. So here it is. destined to play this role, but I feel very fortunate to be doing so. The Crow was Brandon Lee's last film. Miramax Home Entertainment is proud to share his final on-camera interview, which includes exclusive, never-before-seen footage. The Crow in the film, the bird in the film, you could really just look at as a guide, almost a piece of his own personality that guides him back into his life and reminds him who he was, what happened to him. This is a person who has been pushed right to the limits of his ability to cope with what is going on and in a sense is quite mad sometimes. In a sense is completely insane. Almost in the sense that you might think of an insane person having voices, you know, uh, more rational voices that uh, try and guide him, more irrational voices that come from a more emotional, more deep-seated place. I think that the crow is that rational voice. The crow is his guide. The crow helps Eric do what he has to do in a very practical sense. It leads him to the places that he has to be. It helps him find the people that he has to find. It's a story about justice for victims. Each one of these is a life, a life you helped destroy. His mission is to find the man who killed him and his fiancée and kill them. Gentlemen! I just want him. It's a wonderful role, and it, it really is a role that you have to take risks with and it gives you a wonderful opportunity to take those risks and stretch because you tell me how somebody who comes back from the dead is going to behave you know you move your dead and i say i'm dead and i move and that's one of the wonderful things about playing this character is it's a real 
you can really take the gloves off in playing this part because there are no rules about how a person who has come back from the dead is going to behave. Listen! I'm sure you'll remember. You killed them on Halloween. You can't be you. We put you through the window. There ain't no coming back. And then there's the part of him that is filled with rage towards what was done to him. And one of the things I like best about this movie is the fact that all of those parts of the character are given balance on the screen. He's torn up. He's torn up really badly, emotionally, physically, and psychically. She uh, died at the hospital. saw her through your eyes. I think that the appeal of Eric's mission is that it is a very pure one. He has come back to seek justice. I've done other films that have had uh, violence in them, but I must say I've never done anything where I felt that the violence was as justified as it is in this. There's very little need to worry about compassion. Victims, aren't we all? This is justice, you know? And I truly feel that it is. And I truly feel that if I were in the same situation, I would do the same thing. He has something he has to do, and he is forced to put aside his own pain long enough to go do what he has to do. To tell the rest of them that death is coming for them tonight. This film deals with the concept of a balance being struck between good and evil. I gave this to Shelley once. I think she'd like you to have it. Because we do not know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. And yet everything happens only a certain number of times, and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood, an afternoon that is so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it? Perhaps four or five times more? Perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 20. And yet it all seems limitless. Little things used to mean so much to Shelley. I used to think they were kind of trivial. Believe me. Nothing is trivial. This is the point of view that this character is coming from in the whole film because it has been brought sharply into focus for him how precious each moment of his life is. I love you. Say that again. I love you. This is the best role that I've had the opportunity to get my hands on in a film. So there you are. There, there, there's Brandon Lee himself. Um, but just 
he just seems like a guy you want to hang out with. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just seemed really cool. And also just like fascinating. Like he's so passionate about it. So clearly passionate about it. And like how seriously he takes the work he's doing part of. Like, it, it, you know, really was a missed opportunity to see like how far his career And it was almost gone. like he was a critical thinker too. If you sat there, he took that role and he, you know, mm-hmm. he, he personalized it. So I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, while most of the scenes after Brandon Lee's death were digitally composed, there was, in fact, a mask that had been made directly from a mold of Lee's face. It had been intended for use on his stunt doubles if they needed it. They attempted to create the scenes using this mask. However, the cast and crew were far too unsettled by the prop that it was destroyed, and digital means were used to fill in the gaps. Hmm. So yeah. it must have been a pretty good mask, I would Everybody, say. Uh, the studio actually added like $8 million to the budget just for those digital scenes, too. I've got that in the future notes later, but they actually had like they had to add those things in just to like digitally put his face in those um, those first scenes. Because I believe it was like the, um, the, the, um, the flashback scene that they had to still film for those last three days. Yeah, I have the ones, uh, the list of which ones are actually that they had to reshoot oh, okay. or whatever. So you so. the full list. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of cost and corner cutting on set. One of the crew recalled they were trying to make a $30 million movie for $18 million. Uh, the film was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina because North Carolina was a right-to-work state. This allows the producers to get away with pay, conditions, and crucially uh, production schedules that would have been nuked by unionized Hollywood. They began filming at night outdoors, but the aforementioned hurricane destroyed the sets, so they moved the production indoors without changing the schedule, as switching a production from nights to days requires a 24-hour turnaround, a time the Harry production team did not have. Moreover, it was still so cold that the camera rails had to be de-iced during filming by riggers with blowtorches hiding out of shot. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's why I kind of prefer union productions. <laughs> Sounds like it was an awful experience for everyone involved. Right. Uh, one of Brandon Lee's favorite movies was The Warriors, uh, which created a breakout role for uh, classically trained actor David Patrick Kelly, who was T-Bird. So naturally, Lee was overjoyed to have a great act- uh, character actor known for his villainous role starring in his own movie. Even though the movie based on the comic is called The Crow, um, as we stated, none of the birds in the film were actually crows. All, in fact, were ravens, which are much larger than crows and have longer, more impressive beaks. Yeah, they do look really cool on film. (laughs) Uh, Brandon Lee requested that one Asian character from the comic who tries to steal Eric's powers be removed from the script as he felt it was stereotype. Uh, I I, I think I would agree. I mean, like, comics have certainly had a a history of of, uh, racial... uh, 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 trying to think of the word, uh, just not done right. <laughs> not, not doing it right. I'm just stereotype. Yeah, stereotyping. Yeah, yeah. Some bad representation going on. So I, I, I just didn't, I think it's good that Brandon Lee vetoed it. Right. <laughs> We're not doing this. It took between 35 minutes and an hour to apply Brandon Lee's makeup, which could stay in place for hours. Special effects artist Lance Anderson created a rubber mask that had slits in it. So that the pattern or lines around the eyes and mouth would be consistent. So, it, you know, it's not just uh, yeah, all yeah. over the place. So like if yeah. Kyle was trying to put his makeup on as he was mm-hmm. driving here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Visual continuity <laughs> in those scenes is very important. Right. So like, the, like getting those things right. You know, Because nothing is worse than seeing something out of place, you know, in the next scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially when it's on someone's face because you're understanding out the entire film anyways. The production didn't have the money or the space to shoot a car chase sequence. So they did it with miniatures instead. But you can tell when the car blows up into the wharf. Still always cool. I I love getting some miniatures. Uh, With his profits from the film, James O'Barr bought his mother a car and a surround system for himself. Then he donated the rest. Quote, I was really good friends with Brandon, so it just felt like blood money to me. He said at a comics convention in 2009, 
I didn't want to profit at his expense, and I kept that secret for as long as I could. It's not charity if you get credit for it. Mm. No, no, I, yeah, I understand that. Or is it because he had to pay the, the wife <laughs> of Bruce Lee and Brandon's mother that lawsuit that he didn't have any more money? Uh, yes and no. I, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I know. That's uh, up to him to decide, I guess. Right. You know, For like the I'm opening sequence, which shows a city on fire, the production used miniatures and projection technology. Yeah, because those fires looked a little weird, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, Still yeah. cool. Uh, here you go, Kyle. You'll love this one. Top Dollar's Nightclub was filmed in the abandoned cement factory called the Ideal Cement Factory in Castlehine, North Carolina. It was also used as the filming locations for Shredder and the Foot Clan's hideout and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, (laughs) as well as Super Mario Brothers. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's a great set. It's a big open room that's gray and dark and looks like an evil place. Yeah. Um, On the set of the film The Crow, Brandon Lee uh, was actually killed when a prop shot him in the abdomen. Uh, two decades earlier, Bruce Lee's character, not Bruce Lee himself, was shot by a prop gun by Stick the Assassin during a take in Game of Death. Mm. Uh, let's see here. The Crow was ranked number 37th in IGN's Top 100 Comic Book Heroes. In 2005, creator James O'Barr claimed that The Crow was the best-selling independent black-and-white graphic novel of all time, translated into almost a dozen languages, and has sold over a quarter million copies worldwide. That's incredibly impressive. I don't know if it's still that way because there's been The Walking Dead. There's been a lot of stuff come out since then. Oh, yeah, I mean? a lot of stuff's come out since then. Oh, so also, like, have to include, like, you know, like, uh, you know, would you include manga in those kind of roles now, right. too, uh, for black and white um, storytelling going on stuff? Because I'm sure there's huge success over there as well. So, um, In folklore... The Crow is associated with death and change. There were plans for a remake starring Jason Momoa, but in May 2018, Momoa left the project and so did Luke Evans. Evans didn't want to ruin Brandon's iconic role and he felt it unworthy. Yeah, I feel like uh, Bradley Cooper and much other actors have been associated with those roles and like there's always like yeah, they're they're always going to kick that around the idea of rebooting that whole um if they, if they do it, I don't want to see a reboot. Just do a continuation. You know what I mean? Like, uh, well, I mean, like that's what the, those two like straight to straight to DVD movies were. The well, two I haven't. Sequels. I don't think I've seen it's them. Basically, the same idea of just like uh, the, you know, the, a similar things happens to a similar guy, and the crow goes to them instead, and like they have their whole little story there. So it's not um, Eric Draven's character back. No, it's not Eric Draven's oh, okay. character back. You know, um, like I would. There's no right way to do it. There's no necessarily wrong way to do it either. I think like you just you have to start the story over again at the end of the day. Right. Um, I know there was one sequel um, that was kicked around like very early on. It was like it was going to be the Crow twenty thirty seven, where it was going to be a, like a near future, like dystopian future um, oh, of the Crow, kind of like and Blade that was, Runner or something. Yeah, yeah. But I'm pretty sure that was actually going to be um, Brandon. Lee. <laughs> that was when uh, that was before they even finished the Crow once. It was the idea of, like Brandon Lee would the sequel would be twenty thirty seven in like a dark future, like RoboCop two, but like <laughs> the Crow. Yeah, then it probably would have bombed. So. That sounds like a terrible idea, but right. also an amazing idea. <laughs> uh, the phrase, it can't rain all the time, is inspired by an encounter that writer James Abar had as a teen. While living in Shepherd, Michigan, uh, prior to enlisting in the Marines, the down-on-his-luck Obar found himself unable to pay for groceries. Frustrated, he decided to buy just the rice, to which the man in line behind him stated, you can't eat rice all the time, while paying for Obar's groceries. The man turned out to be Lee Coogan, or Coolin. The mayor of Shepherd himself, and is also the basis of the character uh, Albrecht. Oh, that's nice. Brandon Lee lost almost forty pounds for this role. 
Jeez. Yeah. It, that, 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 I get immediately reminded of the mindset of, like, of a Christian Bale in Batman Returns when like he had to like gain like 50 pounds of muscle. But do you know the sad part about this is is Brandon Lee celebrated his birthday on the set and they bought him cake and ice cream and stuff and, and he couldn't even take it because he was on a strict diet. I was like, you could have had a piece. Why even buy a cake this? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's like so many actors like you gotta say that thing like, you know, all Marvel superheroes now they eat like rabbits. They don't yeah. eat food at all. Um, you can see a bullet casing in Eric's hair during the church scene uh, near the end. Uh, the for Brandon and Eliza dedication at the start of the end credits was for Brandon Lee, who was actually killed in the production of this movie, and his fiance Eliza Hutton, who supported Alex Proyas' decision to complete the movie. Hmm. Uh, one of the deleted scenes um, glimpsed the plot where Eric used his power to remove the morphine from Darla's veins, um, an act having nothing to do with seeking revenge for his murder. After doing so, Eric temporarily lost his powers in that moment and was surprise attacked from behind by Funboy and could not heal his wounds like he could before. You can see the aftermath of this fight being unchanged in the rest of the film as Eric uses black electrical tape to bandage his wounds around his arms and upper body. Also, this original narrative would have explained Eric's vulnerabilities in the final church fight more clearly as his killers were already disposed of and he was taking up action for something not seemingly related to his murder. The idea of the main character's powers only being available to him based on the health of his companion Crow was decided as a replacement concept for this plot line after the cowboy scenes had already been filmed. Yeah, was it Skull because Cowboy? There's another, well, let me, let me tell you about the cowboy because it, it was yeah. the trivia before this. I didn't really was going to use it, but I will. But before Brandon Lee passed away, there was a plot line in the film that involved a character called the Skull Cowboy. The backstory of the cowboy was that he was someone who was in a similar position to the main characters at some point in time, but who was stuck in the land of the living for at least the entirety of this movie's events. Whether that means the cowboy failed to obtain his own revenge or failed to return to his grave after obtaining said revenge is unknown. But he now acts as a guide to other souls who are stuck in limbo like he is. For the main character, Eric Draven, the cowboy would often appear and warn him about the rules of revenge that all lost souls must follow if they wanted to cross over to the other side so they could rest in peace. In deleted scenes, the cowboy would explain that if Eric did anything outside of seeking revenge against his own killers, that he would also lose his powers and being risked stuck in the land of the living for all of eternity. I think it's a good name for a character, Skull Cowboy. Just, <laughs> Some people call me Skull Cowboy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was wise to cut that because getting caught up in the comic book minutia of like, well, how, how does this power actually work? And yeah, know, that yeah. you know, that's something that you were. You know, like even at the beginning, after a, year, a whole year had passed, and he comes crawling out of the grave, and you know, he just he looks normal. There's like no rotting flesh or anything, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Huh. And then when he takes the morphine out of the lady's body, you know what I mean. Uh, and then when he loses his powers at the end, you you didn't know. Yeah. Well, I, I think in this story, like his limits are important. What he does with it is important. What he does with his power is important, rather than the limits he has placed upon him. Like, oh no, you can't you can't interview people that aren't you know related to your revenge. And if you do that, then you're gonna actually suffer damage. Like, eh, who cares? <laughs> yeah. But that, I mean, that was that revenge. was the only thing uh, about this movie that was kind of uh, off. Like, yeah. So the crow's still alive, but you're already losing your power. You know, it was kind of that's the only flaw I saw. Um, that, yeah, that was kind of confusing in terms of visual continuity right. and other stuff too. Like, yeah, I understand there's a there's a small flaw because of cut content, but also I think it was wise to cut that because it's just it's not critical to the story. His right. limitations of his powers. Um, the following scenes were completed after Brandon Lee's death. Here we go. When Draven first enters the apartment after digging himself out of the grave, footage of Lee walking through an alley in the rain was digitally composed into the scene where he walks through the doorway. 
Computer technology added drops of water to the door frame to make the water on his back not seem out of place. The shot of Draven falling from the window was made by digitally composing Lee's face, complete with simulated blood, onto a body double. The scene where Draven puts on his makeup while filming using a double. The face in the smashed mirror was Lee's computer altered to fit the shards of the glass. The image of Draven walking towards the window with a crow on his shoulder was a double with Lee's face added during lightning flashes. And when Sarah visits the apartment, we never actually see Draven's face as it is a double. So, as you can see, pretty much all the principal photography was done. So, that that's the one good thing about this movie. Yeah. So... Uh, the Crow guides Eric Draven to the villains, starting with Tintin, who struck first blood. Then uh, remaining villains were in order. They raped Shelly, his wife, or his fiance. Uh, Tintin starts in on Shelly first, but Funboy pushes him out of the way and saying, me first. So take that as you will. Uh, the cameo uh, by David J. Shaw, uh, the writer, is one of the first men to get killed during the boardroom fight. You see him fall and then abruptly disappear under the table. Hmm. Uh, during the boardroom shootout, Brandon Lee rolls onto his back to kick a shooter through a window before kicking back up to his feet in one movement. This is a similar move to one performed by, uh, or in Enter the Dragon, performed by his dad, Bruce Lee, which was also his last film before his untimely death. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Just how it all connects. You know Symmetry what I mean? in life, man. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's a total of a body count of 31 in this movie. Uh, the final rooftop confrontation between Eric and Top Dollar was shot not on the roof of a church, but on modular pieces sitting on the soundstage floor that were made to look like Gothic cathedrals. So they were fighting in a trailer park. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Literally. Yes. Um, at around one hour and 27 minutes for a scene in which the crow attacks Micah, Lance Anderson built a mechanical bird to do the attacking. It had separate controls for the wings and the claws. <laughs> have a team rapper just caca, caca. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! It's like that scene of Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Those fun, are monkeys. Fun boy uses a Smith and Wesson model six twenty nine forty four Magnum revolver as his weapon throughout the film, which he uses to kill Eric Draven in his apartment. After Eric kills Fun boy, he takes the six twenty nine for himself and is seen using it in several scenes, most notably the shootout in the club where he wields this gun akimbo with T Bird's Taurus PT ninety two. This is most likely the gun that killed actor Brandon Lee in real life. Jeez. Yeah. So, Kyle, um, you know, I, I didn't want to dive into the death of Brandon Lee be- too much because I wanted to make sure we honored the movie as it was. Now, when, when I was younger, um, and I did some research on this, I always thought the scene that Brandon Lee died in was where he jumped up on the table and he gets blasted with all those guns and he falls off the back and i had always heard that they left that footage in there Mm. now Mm. i my here's my here's my problem with that with now that i've went through the notes if that's the case then um all the action scene after that would have taken place first yeah, which he did. We we just went through what he did do, and, or what they used for his double. You know, all the things that they did. Yeah. Well, so, well, first and foremost, the original footage was destroyed of him getting actually getting killed. Like the, the police took that, discovered, uh, uh, declared as an accident, and they they destroyed that footage afterwards. So that footage does not exist anymore. Right. But passing, yeah. So for me to say where he got shot, I'm not sure uh, because I didn't want to dive too far deep into it because I just I just don't feel right. Pinpointing exactly. It you know feels, I mean? yeah, like a 
it feels morbid to be that fascinated with like, oh, this is the shot where he got killed, and I know like there like other films have done. To me, it makes sense it would be when he's on the table because there were so many bullets coming. Mm -hmm. But they also found out that it was the gun that Michael Massey used, so it would have to be a scene with him in it. uh, You know, Fun Boy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not really sure. It only takes one gun. Yeah. Right. So uh, we're just gonna leave that alone. and then not really talk about it, but we're gonna see how Kyle felt about this movie. Kyle, what do you think of the crew? I think it's kind of great. Um, I think it's I, it is a it is a uh, genre into itself in many ways because it's like it's not quite like Batman, but it's not like quite like Robocop. It's not like quite an art house film. It's kind of a fusion of different kind of genres all kind of melding together to make it its own thing that I really appreciate. Like no movie is quite like The Crow in my mind, um, even if that's not necessarily like um, I like. I don't think it's a movie I really like enjoy or like or want to watch like abundantly like uh, many many times over. But it is a film that's kind of like singularly you know just itself in a way that's interesting and kind of cool. Like you know the world could have gone a different way or like more movies like The Crow, um, and there are a few out there that are like kind of tried to but failed. I feel like The Crow is unto itself of like it's the highest quality of what it was trying to do, and it was the only one that really did it right. Um, so I appreciate that. So it's a film that I really enjoy. Um, it's a film that I'm not going to watch too many times again, but maybe maybe once or twice in my life. You know, as uh, lives are limited, you know, how many times do you see a moon? 20 times, who knows? <laughs> like randomly said. But um, overall, this is a, an interesting film, well worth watching at least once as a film historian almost, and uh, it's worth appreciating. So, um, and Jimbo, how do you feel about The Crow? I, it's a good movie. Um the last time I saw this, well, maybe not the last time, but the first time I saw it, I was in high school, um, and I do believe I went to the theater to see it. Um, but I hadn't revisited it, and it, it, man, it had to be 20 years, if not 25. Um, and I forgot how good of an actor Brandon Lee was um, when watching this. Um, the, the story was fine, you know what I mean, except for the parts we talked about earlier. Um, the acting was good. I like his comic nature, uh, comical nature, you know, when mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's like, well, shoot me. He's like, and I'm dead. He's like, you know, yeah. I say I'm dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this, the, the story is taken seriously, but it's not like over overtly serious. Right. Like, you know, like it is still kind of ridiculous and funny in a weird way. Right. Yeah. Um, I would have wished uh, that he didn't die so I could have seen him in some other stuff to get an overall view of his acting abilities because based upon this, I think he could he could have done some great things. Um, and I would have loved to see him, maybe him and Johnny Depp team up in a movie. I think that would have been great. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really great movie. I, I'm probably going to watch this several more times because it's, it's moved back up on my radar where I enjoyed it so much that... Um, I think I'll watch it a few more times. I, I, I really, I really liked it, and I think uh, Siobhan for for uh, recommending it because it had been on our list, but it had been so you know our list is pretty big, and so when somebody requests something like that, we pull it to the forefront. And this is one of those movies where I'm glad they did because it made me appreciate the movie more because it's been such a long time since I've seen it um, that I really enjoyed it. So thank you, Siobhan, for that. Yes, really appreciate um, that. We hope we did the movie justice for you. Um, be sure to tell all your friends over there in New Zealand, hey, look, they said my name on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm that a celebrity they, now. Yeah, <laughs> so, so they you can uh, they can come and listen along too, um, as well as anybody else. If you have any friends, enemies, frenemies, mm-hmm. um, and you want to tell them about the podcast, um, yeah. then go ahead. Uh, Siobhan, I'm probably going to message you here in a little bit, see if you want to come on and do a little interview maybe a zoom meeting with me and kyle and we can add it to this uh 
uh, thing. A little upset thing with last right. minute kind of thing. So yeah. if, if, if you hear a thing with me and Kyle Shavorn on, on this, uh, good. If not, well, we still might do it later and, and add it. The future has many opportunities. Right. Yeah. So, um, again, thanks for listening. If you want to follow us on Facebook, we are the Tragedy of Cinema on Facebook. Uh, we have uh, TikTok. TikTok in the works, always. <laughs> Kyle, in, in, okay. in construction. That's it. The, the public has spoken. Kyle, we want your first TikTok done by the next time we record. Next time we record. Yeah. Okay, I'll make a TikTok. I'll make a TikTok with a movie. Movie. Uh, movie TikTok. Movie TikTok. How about, Yo, what's Kyle, up? We're how about we have Kyle do a TikTok movie where he only does the movie in two-minute increments, but you have to increments. stay tuned for yeah, the yeah. I compress the entire story in the two-minute TikTok. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> for the first TikTok, Kyle, I want you to paint your face like the crow. Exactly. Say, paint your face like the crow. Join, join the podcast group or else <laughs> I will get my revenge. They might think you're a juggalo. You, they me. might think you're a juggalo <laughs> if you paint your face. Uh, the crow says wop wop. Right. Uh, if you'd like to leave us review i think you can leave it on spotify uh itunes apple podcast google play podcast wherever uh we'll find you and then we'll read them on the air if you'd like so uh i think the next time we record um we are going to do uh uh, man it's been a long time since i watched this movie too but we're going to do the tom hanks movie the burbs Burbs. first time watching this was it your first time first time first uh had my burbs cherry block. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very uh, interesting movie. Uh, I, I laughed in it. So, um, but I think this episode's coming to a close. And with that being said, the authority is coming. <laughs> yeah, the, the sirens are coming. It's the crow. Yeah, yeah. but uh, like I said, that's we're coming to a wrap and cut. Uh,